0: Have you ever wanted to sell more books and enroll more customers? Or maybe you were looking to find ways to sustain your message and truly make your difference. Hosted by Sean Rosenstiel, Authorized is a live, collaborative show dedicated to helping self-development authors take their businesses to the next level. All right, Terry, I think we're live here. We better be. I'm excited to connect with you again.
1: Yeah. We've been spending were, way too much time together.
0: <laughs> you were gracious. And
1: that's enough. a good thing.
0: That's a good thing. You were gracious enough to have me on your show. What was that? Two or I three was
1: things. first. You were first.
0: Oh. So I'm excited to reciprocate. And that was funny. Th- thank goodness we weren't doing video. Because if you can remember, I had the sun just beating down on my face. <laughs>
1: that was hilarious. I kept watching the shadow go like this. <laughs>
0: Me too. Me too. So it's a good thing
1: it was audio only. You were like going, so, and and then, yeah. Yeah. I know. like, that was a great spot for you to be in, Sean. Yeah, you're probably like, wow, this guy's
0: buckling under pressure. He's sweating profusely.
1: <laughs> <laughs> He's so nervous about being on my show.
0: Right? Exactly. Yeah,
1: so, yeah. No, we had a good time.
0: We did have a good time. Yeah. Well, you look well. I love your shirt.
1: Thank you. Yes. I'm sporting my new brand wear. Um, that I'm super excited. About. In fact, I'm actually getting ready to uh, take. So I have a a seven sentence credo for Pappy Club for all cool. solopreneurs. And I'm going to take words out of my credo and make like really cool T-shirts that I can wear because it's all about me. Right. No. <laughs> but, yeah. I just want to have some fun with it. I can't help cool. being creative. So, yeah. What is a seven sentence credo? Oh, do you really want me to share that with you? Okay, let me bring it up. I wasn't ready to bring that up, but I can't. You would think I would have it memorized, right?
0: Yeah. Okay,
1: here we go. It's uh, for anybody who wants to read it. It's on pappyclub.com. And the seven characteristics of solopreneur happiness. Pappy Club believes that every solopreneur deserves to have creative autonomy, fulfilling their dreams, to be nourished within a community of other solopreneurs, to have access to reliable expert resources and support, to be confident about their business and income, to be known, understood, and valued for who they are and how they serve others, to have clarity around their business marketing and operations, and to be happy with their progress yet hunger for more.
0: Cool. Awesome. I love it. I got chills reading it. (laughs) I love that. You know, you really gave me kind of a a breakthrough when we first connected because I've always looked at myself as an entrepreneur. And many, many years ago, I scaled one of my businesses and I had a team. I had the overhead. I had the payroll. And there was a lot of pressure in that. And I recognized the fact that maybe that's not for me. And so I very strategically scaled back down and i was very happy that i did and now i'm really happy to be flying solo and sure i delegate and i have you know some vendors in place and some contractors but my wife and i really run oh, you the need
1: show. It. yeah yeah
0: and so when well, you said, you
1: shouldn't have your wife do everything though Sean.
0: well she <laughs> she doesn't she's she, Just as good at delegating as well. The kids
1: too. I mean, you are delegating a lot. Sometimes now that they're getting older,
0: she's good at at delegating the things I delegate to her right back.
1: Yeah. Good. Excellent. I like this woman.
0: But you gave me a light bulb because I'm like, you know, I think I'm probably I fit more within that solopreneur bucket than that entrepreneur bucket. Like I am not looking to be, you know, I'm not looking to grow a company and have hundreds or thousands of employees. I don't think that's in my comfort zone or DNA. And I don't know how I could do that with maintaining balance in some other areas. Right. So it's just, I I like the solopreneur concept. I love what you're doing. I love your mission. And I struggled to create the little graphic for this episode because you're not quite there with the new cover art for your new book, Flying Solo. Which no,
1: is, no, this wait. is this is a little bit of a hint to it. And you even said oh. Flying Solo when you were talking about your transition and scaling yeah. up and scaling back, right. you said Flying Solo and I'm like, look, he's already dropping the name of my new book.
0: <laughs> I, I love it. So I struggled because I put that little, it was like a white book cover with a question mark. and. <laughs> When I asked you, like, what your greatest accomplishment, like, you I may go not-
1: with that, Sean, actually. I may actually use that. That's- <laughs> yeah.
0: Because like, a lot
1: of printers really don't know.
0: <laughs> you're not a novice writer. You're not a no- novice author. I asked you via email a few days ago, like, what's been your greatest accomplishment? You have written and self-published five previous books. That's amazing. Yes.
1: Yeah, yeah, 2007 was my first one and it was a memoir. And that just opened a door of like, oh, I can actually do this. And I just got all these ideas and started just writing like a fiend. Cause I love, unlike some people, (laughs) I love to write. And- uh, Are you looking at me? No, I was actually looking um, over there. Yeah, that that guy over there.
0: (laughs) Writing was my favorite part of the process. I'm with you.
1: Yeah, no, seriously. I mean, I've talked to some people that have are very successful authors, and they groan and moan when they talk about the writing process. And I'm like, are you kidding me? If I could do that 24 seven, I'd be the happiest clam on earth, I tell you, but um, I love writing. And yeah. so it was just really easy for me. That's awesome. I like
0: it because it's one of those times where you finally give yourself permission to shut the world out. You know what I mean? You you hunker down, you get quiet, you think strategically. And yeah. uh you know, no one distracts you if you're protective of your time. And that, that's what I like about it. That's why I like meditation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. some to quiet the noise. And writing is a neat vehicle to do that. Yeah. So that's really it really, really cool.
1: is. And you know, when when you have a when you have when you're working on a book, it's a you know, there's a lot of time invested. So it's not just something like a blog post where you do in a day or two or whatever and, and you're done. It's something that you, you kind of need to get into the energy of, the attitude of, the mindset of, because your mind is, once you start writing, this is how it was for me anyway, once you start writing, the book it continues to unfold when you're sleeping, when you're eating, when you're out doing non-book type things. And it, it's kind of generating and correcting and adjusting and, and developing in your brain uh, and then you basically get to the keyboard and you just dump. <laughs> and that's how it is for me because I'll, uh, you know, I'll get into the writing and next thing, you know, it's like, wow, I didn't realize that was going to go that way. And it's because of all this work that happens when we're not even typing. So I love that part of the process.
0: That's also why editors have jobs, mm-hmm. right? Cause sometimes it's good, good stuff comes out. Other times it's like, Oh, that was, you know, 45 minutes of therapy, 5,000 words later, that probably doesn't belong
1: yeah. in the book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what
0: was one of the biggest learnings you've had? You know, five books self-published. Like, what was the biggest lesson that came out of that?
1: The biggest lesson was I'm a writer and I can do this on my own. Because when I first started, uh, you know, I love anything I take on new. I, I kind of like, I'm voraciously hungry or the how to of it, the understanding how it works, research, all that stuff. And that's what I did. I like dove into the writer's world with so much excitement, and enthusiasm, and innocence, if you will, not really understanding what it took to be professionally, traditionally published. Mm-hmm. And, you know, getting an agent, having a book proposal, having working with an editor, you know, all the stuff that's involved in going a traditional route. And as I went down that tunnel with no cheese, is how I'll put it at the time, and this is back in 2006, um, I was very frustrated because I wasn't making any progress. Granted, memoir is probably one of the toughest genres to start with and to sell to a publisher if you're a nobody. And basically, you know, not to diminish myself, but I was a nobody to a publisher. Now, if I was someone famous or had, you know, been a president or something like that, it would have been completely different. Sure. And yeah. And so what I ended up doing was I said, wow, I heard of this thing, self-publishing and the rest is history. So I think the the biggest learning was I can do it on my own. I even made my own uh, publishing company uh, when I got my Bowker ISBN and legally it's like I'm the publisher and I'm basically using Amazon to distribute the book. Good for you. And that was when back in 2000? Um, that was 06. Yeah. Well, wow. in 2006, wow. the I don't know that Amazon was doing its print on demand, uh, that they, I don't know that they were quite there yet. So I used a company called author house and they did print on demand, uh, books for self published authors. Cool. So that's wow. that, and it's still with them. It's not actually, um, an Amazon product, but all of my other books, I went directly through, um, Amazon cool. create space.
0: Cool. Yeah. Great space. Yeah. So you've seen a lot of interesting changes in the last 14 oh, years. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, cool. well, you know, the last book I published was 2015. So I'm over well overdue because I was doing books like every every year or two. I was just, you know, just like prolific. <laughs>
0: right. Right. So, OK. So when you look back over all that 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 period of time, what was like one of the biggest mistakes or set, mistakes you made or maybe biggest setbacks you had? Tell me a little bit about the struggle.
1: Well, honestly, you know, it's funny because when I hear the word mistake, I'm like, I don't look at my past events as mistakes as much as I look at them as, oh, kind of like a big pinball machine where you get bumped off of different things and you go in different directions. And I think that everything along my journey as a writer has mm-hmm. served its purpose from the moment that I started that first book, which was inspired by my husband passing and his journal. And I was looking for a book that told a love story and every you know book about widows and dying and death was all about how to recover from it, how to deal with death, the sages wow. and all this stuff. And I'm like, no, I don't want that. I wanted to read a love story because that's what I felt that I lived. And so when I found his journal, I was like, it's right here. All I need to do is just tell our story and intersperse wow. his journal, which is what I did and it was such an amazing experience i had you know all the emotions as as you can imagine writing that story but i did it the way i wanted to do it and so i don't look at that or any other approach that i took with the books as mistakes as much as allowing myself to have the freedom to explore and do things differently and really do what you know my gut is telling me And if it doesn't work, then try something different the next time. So for me, life's like a big pinball machine, you know, and the lights are going off and the bells are ringing and the score is going up and, you know, that's the fun of it for me. So that's kind of how I look at it.
0: Yeah. Wow. What an amazing story. What's that memoir called?
1: It's called 14 days because that was the, that was the amount of entries that he had in his journal, just 14 days.
0: Wow. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing must have been a pretty emotional experience for you yeah
1: it was emotional because it was like kind of reliving a lot of it I mean a lot of it I was because it had been when I started writing it it had been two years since he passed away and then six years prior to that was all of the Hmm. you know medical ordeal and then prior to that is how we met so I was like I had to go back over like 14 years of you know, what we did. And it was challenging to remember everything. And, you know, our memories work in very selective ways. So I tried to recall as many details as I could, but also tell a good story. And it was that book that I I learned probably my most important lesson about being a writer.
0: Mm. And,
1: you know, a lot of writing instruction or ghostwriters or people who are experienced in writing books always say, you know, show, don't tell. That's kind of the basic stuff that pretty much everybody learns. Um, and then Stephen King talking about you know writers to get to get to be a better writer, you just need to read a lot. He wrote that in his memoir on writing. But the the number one thing that actually a friend, a fellow writer shared with me because they were looking at what I was doing in a draft and they read it and they're like, Terry, you're trying too hard to walk the reader through the experience. What you need to do is allow the reader, to come to their own conclusions and that was the most powerful thing it was it was really freeing sean because it enabled me to stop caring so much about the reader experience and then i like stepped back into my body and said i just need to tell my story and tell it in a way that it occurred to me and then everybody's going to have their own experience and that was probably the most powerful thing that i learned as as an early young writer uh you know creating books and such So yeah, that was, that was pretty powerful. And that came out of that memoir experience.
0: Cool. Cool. Yeah. And it's so true. I mean, we all listen and read and watch movies autobiographically. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to allow that uh, interpretation to take place, right? Yeah. To to guide them, but not lead them exactly, you know, just let them have a little imagination along the way too. So I think that's that's,
1: and that's why I just have to have a little editorial rant about that because when I see people, which is interesting because readership is actually up among all generations right now, but when I see people kind of like scoff at books and not want to sit down with a book, whether it's electronic version on a Kindle or otherwise, or it's an actual paperback, um, they don't understand that it's not about consuming the, the lessons or the you know story that's in there. It's about having an experience. And when they do a summary version or an executive brief of a book or whatever, it's like you're missing out on what an author really wants to do, which is take you on a journey and allow you through their story, through their sharing to be inspired to either uh, enhance, evolve, improve, or get relief from issues you're dealing with in your own life. And so that's my little rant.
0: (laughs) No, but it's good I'm an advocate
1: for readers.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's good stuff. So I asked you about the biggest mistake you made. Now we know that Terry's perfect. She's flawless. Uh, she easy, make mistakes.
1: Now. easy now. That's not no. It's all in how you look at it. It's all the perspective.
0: No, I love the perspective. I might one of my mottos is fail fast. Because I found I mean, in, in retrospect, if we look back, it's like some of the biggest lessons we've had and some of the biggest growth we've experienced is, during those times of adversity or failure or struggle or whatever else. No
1: kidding. Yeah. So like for me, it's like,
0: (laughs) just like with you and your concept of mistakes, for me, it's like, there's no such thing as failure. There's only feedback.
1: Mm -hmm. And I want
0: that feedback. I value that feedback. I like clarity. Mm -hmm. And without feedback, I have no clarity. So it's like, if I really want a clear path here, I have to take action. I have to move forward. I have to do the writing or Publish this or whatever it might be, because I need that feedback to continue getting clarity along the way. So I love that. That's one thing I love that, I that's that's the, uh, I love
1: that um, Seth Godin always said: ship it, just ship it. You know, yeah. because my thing was like I always wanted it to be so perfect, and I go through and I read it, and I'm like, just get it out the door.
0: <laughs> yeah. So yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's neat because what I found is my book's been published about two and a half months now, and it is imperfect. There are some things oh, there's still there's
1: still typos in my very first book. I'm like yeah. how did that happen?
0: <laughs> yeah. There are some things now that like I've learned over the past few months that I'm like, "Oh gosh, this would have been so neat to have this section in there." Yeah. Or now that I've trained this a certain way a dozen more times, this gets a better result. This section should be changed. But I kind of appreciate it for what it is. You know, it's like that's the best I could do with what I had back then, and that I just yeah. I'm great for it and it is imperfect, and I'm okay with that now but you freak out ahead of time you know you think it needs to be perfect ahead of time right so and no and one there's
1: there's stuff is. out that that come out of the major publishing houses you know Wiley Simon and Schuster Penguin and they're loaded with mistakes grammatically spelling it's like and and they're famous authors and you're like wow okay so I don't feel so bad
0: <laughs> sure. if they can do it I can do it
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the ball was dropped somewhere down the line, you know, this high, heavy, intense production that that they do.
0: All right. So I'm excited to get into this with you. What is currently working for you right now? And you mentioned yesterday that you're selling your services, which I think many of us authors, I mean, obviously beyond the book, there's a business model, hopefully.
1: Yes. Oh, of course. Yeah.
0: Living these days, unless you have a massive publishing deal with a massive following. So Hopefully, if you're writing a book or you've published a book, you have something beyond the book for people to uh, consume, whether it's a yes. program, uh, whether it's an online course, a mastermind, whatever it might be. So when I asked you what was working, you're like, whoa, I'm selling my services. That's what's working. I'm like, oh, I can't wait to find more out about that. So tell us a little <laughs> about your services and and how are you selling them? Because I think a lot of us would get a lot of benefit from that.
1: Well, I hope so. That's why we're having this conversation. So just for your viewers and my viewers, even who may not know my complete background, um, my whole career has been in commercial art, visual communications, advertising, marketing, copywriting, branding, customer experience. That's my happy place. So if it's business and communications and building relationships through business, that's me, right? So that's my happy place. And, I went to art school. I'm a geek. You know, I know all the technology stuff. I love shooting those video. Your I love behind you. <laughs> no, I actually am a collector, uh, a appreciator of art. my All my paintings have been sold, and I actually haven't painted in quite a while, probably fifteen years, and I've picked up it's been since I picked up a paintbrush. but I am an art writing. appreciator, so hmm? since you started writing,
0: that's interesting.
1: Yeah, kind of. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, the creative is always flowing with me because I do it in my job. So I started my business 15 years ago and it's a very small boutique agency. I have zero employees. I am a true do-it-yourself lifestyle solopreneur. So I have a couple of like junior designers and subcontractors that help me, but for all intents and purposes, the big important stuff I do for myself uh, or for my clients. And so my goal with the books was to somehow weave my writing into and around the work I did professionally. So the problem was I didn't have a good enough strategy mm. on how to weave it all together. Okay. And a lot of it also was because I just loved to write. So whatever was there that I felt that I needed to express would be the book. <laughs> And it's like, and that's kind of what's going on with my current book, which is Flying Solo. It's a survival guide for solopreneurs. So in the last two years, I've like picked a lane and I'm like so embedded in that lane. I've done Thank so you. much research into lifestyle solopreneurs. My podcast is for and about lifestyle solopreneurs. And so I have this, I've, I've got two books actually in my brain. Can I stop you that, for a minute?
0: Can I yeah. stop you for a minute? Yeah. For those of you who aren't familiar with Terry's podcast, her current season, and it may have just ended, but I think like the last seven. It
1: it ends on 11th of November 9th.
0: Okay. One of the reasons I was so excited to to meet Terry when we met a few, probably months ago initially, but she has an entire season dedicated to authors who have businesses that are looking to write and publish books and, and use the book as, I don't want to call it a loss leader, but use the book as a lead generator. So if you haven't yet, Terry mention your podcast, if you could, because this whole season is gold for people like us.
1: Yeah, absolutely, Sean. So my podcast is called Simplify and Multiply. And you can find it under that or under my name. I'm on all the channels. And I do the podcast uh, in seasons. So every season has a theme around something that's going to benefit a solopreneur's business. And I even have some themes on like dealing with fear and worry, finances. So I try to bring in all different aspects of what it is to be a solopreneur because it's a very unique vocation. And so this particular season that Sean is referring to is is about writing a book that builds your business. Mm. So finding a way to use the book as a, a part and parcel of your larger offering. And it can fit in a lot of different ways. So it can be part of a product that you're delivering or a program. It can also be a lead generator. It can be if you're a speaker, it's something that you uh, include in your keynote address. So there's a lot of different ways you can leverage uh, your your book. And so that's what I've been, that's, and Sean is, is in this season. Uh, we have a great conversation about just that topic. So
0: that's awesome. Thanks, Terry. I, I rudely interrupted you.
1: Yeah, you did. I completely lost my train of thoughts. So we're going to have to start over from the very, very beginning. So you were, I did. Us about, sorry,
0: <laughs> you were telling us about, I think you mentioned like the last two books.
1: Yes. So uh, yeah, I remember where I was at. So basically because I was, uh, my business is all about marketing and communications and relationships and being creative. I'm very much about inspiring the business owner, the solopreneur to generate the results they get Creatively, not only energetically, but also like through intentional, you know, action and things like that. So to me, it's more than just the things you're doing. (laughs) It's it's how you think about who you are, it's your attitude, it's your perspective. So there's a lot of things that come into play. And I base everything on the, the book I wrote, Compass Playbook, which is a framework that kind of like gives a platform for people to mine that to discover it through creative problem solving, cool. which is, you know, list making, writing, mind mapping, drawing, doodling, all that kind of visualization, all that kind of thing. And the, the other funny thing is I did a series um, of, I don't know if we can see this here. Yeah, guides my, Yeah, my Confident Entrepreneur. I had, um, <laughs> I laugh I because I had designs. You know, my strategy was to do all of these guidebooks uh, confident Entrepreneur Guide to You Know Writing a Book That Builds Your Business, kind of like the topics that are in my my podcast. And I got two done, and that was it. <laughs> I'm
0: surprised so, you're such a cre- You know, you're such a creative.
1: Well, that's that's one of the drawbacks of being a creative is we get bored easily. So something like doing a series of these when you can pretty much get every answer. And I was using the Compass uh, Playbook framework inside these books. So it used a lot of the prompts. I'm a big prompt person. (laughs) Still doing prompts to this day because they really help my clients move the needle. Um, And yeah, so that's been my experience. It's like, I'm like, okay, I got this strategy, I'm gonna move forward and then I get bored with it. And I get an idea for something else and then I move on. Compass is another example. I had online programs. I did Facebook ads. I wrote uh, two versions of it. Right, uh, the actual workbook version, you know, which is the big one where you go in and you do all the plays in the book. And wow. then I did a compass, you know, like a one you use with a journal, which is basically just. Oh, I'm doing a terrible job here with the camera, but you know, it's just. <laughs> and I was envisioning this whole compass playwork universe, and because it was a consumer sale, not a business sale. It was so hard. And so much money went into Facebook ads to get people to get into the programs. Mm. So it was just kind of a flawed strategy from the get go. And in that, I just didn't have the resources to keep up the advertising to create a brand in the consumer space. So you know that was another pinball lever that threw me uh, against the other side of the pinball machine. And and I learned a lot from that experience, a lot, a lot. So these are kind of things right. that were in my lane, but would would kind of go out. And so with Flying Solo, my current book project, the way I'm strategically using that is to help reinforce my place in this niche, which is the do-it-yourself lifestyle solopreneur, which I've created as a result of all of the research. because. I mean, technically, solopreneur solopreneurs a really giant category and they're all different types of solopreneurs, right? Some of them are on their way to being an entrepreneur and building an enterprise business. Others are scaling down, um, others are just starting out. So you have, you, it runs sure. the gamut. So the appreciation and the, I guess, distinction that I'm trying to create with writing Flying Solo is creating what is a do-it-yourself lifestyle solopreneur? What do they do? What are their opportunities? What do they look like? How do they get through their day? Um, and that's why I'm referring to it right now as a survival guide. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, that's good. that's good. That's good. So, yeah. so that's kind
1: of how yeah, that's kind of how I'm I'm initially using that. But I will be giving that to like all of my Pappy Club members. I mean, I'm. It's going to be more of a just kind of like an entree gift, if you will, you know, kind of like if, if they make an investment with me, they get this for me. I'm, I'm interested in doing like a really personalized uh, cool. kind of a gift, gifty package about it. So that's how I'm using it in my business.
0: So I hope those that are listening and watching are, are paying attention to what what Terry's talking about here, because I think this is really important and I, and I want to clarify this distinction. So it sounds like you started with this compass concept and it was more geared towards... Mm-hmm. Is it, was it more geared towards life or personal development? Yeah, it was,
1: it was geared toward life because it, um, the four programs I had were work, career, health and wellness, and finances. So those are like the four major pillars of pretty much everybody's life. Working and career. Yeah. Work is career, uh, relationships, you know, any relationship, right? Personal, professional, uh, finance and health and wellness. So okay. of those four kind of major pillars of life, um, I had a program for each one. and But the book is generic. You know, it's meaning you can, I refer to them as aspirations. So you can use any aspiration you have, whether it's to get out of debt, to buy a new car, to buy a new house, to find a husband, to find a wife, um, you know, that kind of thing can be used in this. So because it was so broad, Yeah. So it, was um, expensive it had that. Market. Yeah, it
0: was expensive. Yeah. Advertise Facebook ads were costing quite a bit. Oh, yeah. It was probably so broad that people weren't necessarily resonating with it, with it and not well, clicking through and not
1: taking the that, offer. That is a that is a result of being of casting what I call a drift net in yeah. your marketing. But what I did was I was focusing on one program, which was the relationships course, and it was designed to uh, you know obviously help you find the perfect mate. That's what I called it, the perfect mate course. And so I did a, a really nice, very powerful webinar about my personal experience losing my husband and meeting my current uh, partner, and you know how he and I are just like you know doing great. And um, what was interesting was in my demographics on my Facebook ads, I chose uh, primarily women because they they would be more apt to invest in you know self development and healing and any kind of thing like that. So I wanted to start with women and then expand it out to both genders. And I focused on women who were recently divorced or recently widowed. And of those two categories, uh, there were a ton of, of people responded, women responded, watched the webinar, went through my funnel you know, of the emails, made an appointment to have a consult with me, got on the phone. And all they wanted to do was complain about their situation. Hmm. Uh, I had done such a good job in the webinar telling my story that they completely resonated and like aligned with who I was. And they're like, oh, she went through what I went through. Oh, I have to talk to her. So all of a sudden I have all these women coming to take my time and they had no interest in improving their situation or finding their mate or recovering you know, or, or moving forward. They wanted to stay where they were because they had such a strong identity yep. with their experience, which I totally get. I lived it, right? And wearing it kind of like as a I don't want to say martyr, but like a badge of honor, like, oh, I went right. through this. Yeah. And so what ended up happening was because I was attracting that type of person that wanted to just kind of like hang out with me and like, hey, um, it was a, a failure from the standpoint of um Uh, you know, just getting people to invest, I I got a handful of people to actually invest in the program. And most of them that invested in it didn't even complete it, which is very chronic with online courses and such. So So, that was a huge learning because it was consumer and I was focused on something that I didn't understand my target market well enough to know that there was enough pain that they needed to move through it. And I was giving them a pathway through it. So It was really, it was really interesting learning experience.
0: Yeah, it's super valuable. So you were, you, 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 after the fact realized that you were maybe attracting the wrong time type of person. Totally. Yeah. That that type of person had such a strong identity that only few would invest because most people probably didn't want to transform they weren't ready yet maybe whatever the reasons were but ready
1: or just didn't believe they could or yeah yeah and then the few a lot of a lot of people get payoffs from the attention they get from having a trauma Mm -hmm. and having a trauma story which i found really interesting and they couldn't wait to tell me their story and i'm like okay we're not here to talk about your story we're here to talk about giving you a pathway out of the pain right and they're like oh no, no no i gotta tell you my story and so it was it was very frustrating for me because i had oh god i put so much time and effort into creating all of the assets because, you know, I mean, Facebook advertising, it's not just throwing an ad up on Facebook. You, there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff you have to create to sure. make it successful.
0: So, yeah. And then the few people that did invest weren't getting the results that you knew you were capable of delivering. You knew that they were capable of getting. So it was just kind of a, you know, empty place. So, so then you... Yeah pivoted. Did you make the pivot to more a solopreneur type of, did you take some of the content and roll it into the business?
1: Well, the, the compass framework is a really solid framework and I use it throughout all of my better three, which is the name of my uh, advertising agency. And uh, I, I, it's like permeates everything I do. So it's like kind of how I function in my life and it's how I coach my clients and tools I use to inspire that creativity. And so that's, always going to be in in the work that I do, but the compass experiment, if you will, was a a really great learning about Facebook and audience. And so what it showed me was like, I need to go back to my lane, if you will, which is the marketing for small business Mm. and find ways that I can use what compass brings to the table, but in the context of a business owner. Yeah. and so that that started building the uh, the product that is now my podcast, which is Simplify and Multiply, and my subscription service, which provides solar printers access to me uh, as a strategic coach, uh, art director. You know, just kind of helping them stay on track, uh, which a lot of solar printers really need. It's not about getting the stuff done; it's about actually getting support and the right guidance to to be strategic. Because we're also close to our own stuff, right? And so that's that's where I'm at. It's like Pappy Club and my Simplify and Multiply podcast is really what is feeding and bringing all of that together, and and why you know, hence the Flying Solo book uh, that yeah. I'm working on. So it's it's just you know, it was kind of like okay, good learning because I'm get actually getting ready to do Facebook ads for Pappy Club. Mm-hmm. and uh I've learned so much uh going through that experience in the last campaigns that I was running for compass that you know like the first thing I did was hire a company to do my ads for me <laughs> yeah, yeah. I do want to have the same the same uh you know i I spent like over thirty thousand dollars in ads and did not see an r o i and I was doing all the ads myself. And I had a good ad, you know, like a good coach that I'd hired. But I was essentially doing everything myself. And this is back in 2017 when Facebook still was, you know, kind of wonky from an yeah. advertising standpoint. Now yeah. they've they've really fine-tuned their advertising uh, stuff. So no, <laughs> I'm like, okay, mean. I'm going to hire those people to do it because I just I'll yeah. create the content. Yeah. I'll no, do I, all the, you know, the live stuff. But they, got, no, they have it from here.
0: Facebook has gotten way more expensive in the last three years. And I think what you're suggesting here is the importance, you know, it's so critical to have that ideal audience figured out or that niche audience. I call it niche, but to have that. Yeah, I do
1: too. And you know, it's interesting because you have to, you have to understand for those who are watching, who may not be familiar with Facebook ads or not really cut their teeth on it is you, you need to teach Facebook. So you can't expect, you need to let your ads run for a while. So it builds the algorithm and figures out your audience and then the retargeting. And there's a lot of nuances to how Facebook ads really work. And that's why you really need someone who does it like 24-7 and knows how to uh, finesse it. So that's that's one of the things that I did learn in doing it myself versus um, you know, having somebody else help me with it. Plus, it takes a lot of time. And I'm, I'd am i rather focus on taking care of my clients and my my Pappy Club members.
0: Sure. Okay. So when I asked you what's working, you said selling my services. Are you referring to the Pappy
1: Club, right? Yes. I'm referring to Pappy Club as well as uh, the done for you services that I do with Better3. So okay. I have three three main products in my business. And that was also one very smart thing I did in my business probably about five years ago was Create products and simplify
0: right. <laughs>
1: what I was doing in my business. And right. uh, it's a strategy product. It's a hands-on implementation where I build things, build websites, write copy, do sales funnels, email automation, selling systems, branding, you know, whatever. Right? Um, content marketing strategies, all of that. I will build, design, and roll out and support my client in getting that um, into their. In source, so they can create that you know ongoing content themselves. And I have a very unique approach to um, to doing websites. I use Story Brand Framework, and I combine like a sales page with a traditional website. I call it a conversion website. And uh, the clients I've built these systems for are doing amazing. Um, and and it's so it works. And then the third product I have is tactical coaching. And Pappy Club kind of came out of my tactical coaching. And the difference between tactical coaching and regular coaching or doing it for somebody, it's a blend of having the benefit of someone who has strategic insight, understands the client and their goals, but also can address all of the application and tactical things. Like I can speak to copywriting. That's why I say it's like like an art director So I can look at how something's displayed in an ad or on a web page and say, okay, this is hard to read, or you should try a different font. And I can get into the weeds on all that. But at the end, the client or their in-source resources, if you will, are doing the actual graphics, copy, and this, that. So tactically, I'm giving them coaching so they know exactly what they're doing is the right thing to do. And they're eliminating things they don't need to do that are going to waste time. Yeah. And uh, that's where the biggest benefit is, because most of us understand the basics of marketing. You know, we understand we need a website. We don't know email marketing, blah, blah, blah. But so many solopreneurs struggle with professionalism from the standpoint of looking like a real business and being clear and facilitating the buyer's journey. Sure. And that's the kind of stuff that I help with. So once I did that, that's that's kind of where I'm at now. So that's that's what I'm doing as far as services.
0: Yeah. A framework that I saw recently, which I appreciated was like an upside down pyramid and it was carved into three sections. And the top section was like do it yourself. That could be like a book where your client can go read about this and do it themselves or even an online course, just some low ticket Mm -hmm. there. Right. The middle section was more like a done with you DWF. So this is an acceleration program, group coaching, whatever else. It's like a mid ticket. Mid-level ticket, and then the bottom of the pyramid, the smallest section, where only maybe one to five percent of people may go, is your most expensive, maybe a right. done-for-you type of a a service, right? Yeah. Um. So I think that's kind of just a helpful visual for people to have. Okay. You've yeah, got- it so- is.
1: I like that, and and I like that the do-it-yourself is at the top because that's pretty much my do-it-yourself lifestyle solopreneur, right? So that's sure. my that's my avatar, and Pappy Club is. Basically, that's why I call it a subscription service is because you're subscribing to have access to me. And so through Pappy Club, the solopreneur gets a much, much (laughs) reduced rate, but they still get my brilliance, if you will. Um, If it gets too much overwhelm for them or if they really like my methodology, my approach, my models, they hire me to actually do it for them at a much reduced rate. So if someone's coming off retail and just walking in say, you know, hiring me to build xyz things for them, more than happy to do it but they're going to pay retail rate, right? But if they're a member of Pappy Club, they get a huge discount uh, on my services and I still love making things. I still love writing copy, building websites, doing all that cool stuff and getting my clients in into a really professional-looking brand experience for their prospects and clients, so they don't have to worry about it. It's easy to take care of, and they just move forward. Um, and that's what I what I really enjoy doing. And I'll probably be doing that in addition to Pappy Club for for as long as I am able to. <laughs> well,
0: no, I love I love that you're sharing this with us. So I would call that like your product suite. And what's neat is you have like this common thread of who you serve and the solutions you provide. But you have different entry points. And I look at it, as someone's on a scale of one to 10, like, you know, you go to the doctor and it's like, well, how much pain are you in? One through 10. If someone's at a one to three, they might take this small fee subscription, whatever it is. Like I'm doing it myself. I would like some guidance. I want to tap into the wisdom upstairs in your brain, but I'm going to subscribe for X amount, right? So it's kind of a low ticket. If they're a four through six or seven let's say it might be something that's a little bit more engaging for them on their end requires more of your time terry but if they're on fire if they're on a lot of pain if they're in a lot of pain and it's an eight to ten they may take your you know premium ticket or whatever this done you mm-hmm. are done for you is so right i want to make that distinction because it's not just about publishing a book and saying you're done yes some people Will read the book, consume it, but they may want more for you from you Yeah, about having different entry points on your menu, but you don't have all sorts of, you know, you don't have a hundred products on your menu. You've got one core product, which you serve up in different ways to make it mm-hmm. for the consumer to make the right decision for them. Absolutely. I love that. I love that. It reminds me of like Apple, you know, you look at Apple and it's like, well, I can go get iTunes music for $9. You know, or I can get the watch or the phone for you know three hundred to a thousand dollars. I can get a MacBook Pro for four or five thousand dollars. You know, they have a whole line of, and they're all integrated. It's like an integrated product suite, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's a neat distinction, and you you've done a nice job. Well, thank
1: it. you for comparing me to Apple. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, I like I like your strategy, right? I like your strategy. That's really cool. Okay, so how are you selling your services, are your products, your services? Like. If you were to look back over the last couple dozen clients you've landed, like what's that one thing that has generated the most leads
1: and sales for you? Well, it's believe it or not, it's kind of old school. I'm I'm I am actually quite traditional in the way I market and sell my own business. Um, that's not necessarily something that everybody does and I've you know it's funny I was talking to someone about this just the other day. My whole career, Working in the corporate environment, advertising agencies, I was always hired for my creative ability. So, what I produced. So, I was always the one sitting either at the drawing board or behind a computer, writing, designing, whatever that was. And then my output was a result that the business used for a client or for themselves or what have you. And so, I was trained professionally, like my mindset, everything about who I was was okay, I'm behind the curtain, pulling the levers, making things look good. And that's where I'm happiest, right? I'm kind of a natural introvert anyway. And when I started my business, I just kept kind of doing that. You know, I I kept being behind the scenes and I never was big and flashy about advertising my business and, you know, this is who I am. Here's my brand. Look at my books, you know, me, me, me. I was never like that. And it wasn't until recently that I realized that I have to step out from behind the curtain and be more visible and take a stand for what's important to me, which is really championing solopreneurs. And that's, kind of occurring like right now. And Pappy Club is the evidence of that. That is actually how, that's why I'm doing a Facebook campaign. That's why I'm writing Flying Solo. That's why I've been producing my podcast and interviewing amazing people like yourself. <laughs> and so that's that's been a big growth thing for me as a, as a business professional, because really standing in my own value and recognizing that people want to have a, a more direct relationship with me has been a big thing. So to answer your question, I kind of had to preface it a little bit, to answer your question about how am I doing that? Up until very recently, aside from my compass, Facebook debacle, <laughs> not a mistake, a learning experience. Yeah. Um, I have done no advertising. So I was lucky enough to get business through referral. Um, the last corporate job I had was at Marriott. And I had a ton of connections through Marriott. And it was one of those things he told two friends and then she told two, and so on. So I ended up getting business, like a lot of business in New England, Florida, you name it. And because I could do so many different things from writing, design, you name it, people were just kind of seeing me as that technical guru, which is why I kept doing that that same stuff. So because of the nature of what I was doing, it was very time consuming. So To be able to serve more than, I don't know, 20, 30 clients in a year was really difficult, especially depending on what the project was. And Most of the clients that I have, I've had since I've started business, believe it or not. They still come back to me and say, hey, I got this little project. So they use me like a freelance graphics person or a freelance this. And it wasn't until recently that I realized I need to move more into strategic work. Um, And so that's what kind of helped me create the products. So the way I sell is I get on the phone, I reach out to people, I make connections, I build relationships, I inquire what they're doing, I ask them if they need help, I ask them if they, you know, are using any, so it's traditional sales, and, and the funny thing is I <laughs> I wrote this, this book on selling, and selling, you know, my my, my Confident Entrepreneur Guide to Selling... And the, it's a hilarious book. It, that's actually the last one I wrote because I, I write in there about my very strong resistance and reluctance around selling because of the way I sell. <laughs> and the first ten years of my business, if not longer, I never had to reach out to people and you know do a, a, a sales call or whatever. People were coming to me and just saying, "Hey, so and so referred me, and I need help with this." I'm like, "Okay, <laughs> you know." So I was really spoiled for a long time. And as a result, my business just kind of stayed in this one space of revenue generation um, because I never wanted to like hire a whole team or expand or do all that stuff. I kept myself right in this sweet zone that was like a nice living and I had a lot of freedom. I could be super creative. I had great relationships with my clients. Um, and, but I never had a product, Sean, that was scalable Mm -hmm. because I had to make everything, everything required time. It required back and forth. You know, it was arduous, but fun and creative as well. So that's, Pappy Club is the result of me solving that problem. Cool. And it enables me to serve literally an unlimited amount of solopreneurs, which I am so excited about. That's exciting. So long answer to your question. No, that's okay. So,
0: so you've had services that you have traditionally sold, Mm -hmm. right? Great. And that worked and it still works. And now you're looking to do a little bit more scale. You've productized what was previously a service because you have a proven model for that, which is so exciting. You invented this Pappy Club. I know you've got great traction there. We talked about it a few weeks ago. And it sounds like now in order to scale Pappy Club and enroll new members you have chosen to hire a Facebook ads company. Is that because yep.
1: people aren't aware of it and you, cool. you know, organic social media stuff doesn't work like it used to. Um, and, and, and this is what the, the guru marketers are out there saying you've got to pay to play. Yeah, one.
0: So, let's stop for a minute. Cause I think this yeah. is really important. So many of us have Facebook pages, not groups. I'm not referring to groups. Groups are, I, I've come to like groups a lot more, but Facebook pages and we're working our tails off trying to you know, increase our fans and our following on our Facebook pages. And this really relates to any social media platform. I think the latest stats, Terry, correct me if I'm wrong. If I have a hundred fans on my Facebook page and I post something, my post will penetrate one to 2% of my fan base on average, unless I want to boost it or pay to play. That's horrendous. Imagine if you work your tail off. (laughs)
1: That's in Facebook's design. That's so, it inspires you to spend money.
0: (laughs) Yeah, now they can do that because they've monetized really well. Oh yeah. But but imagine, I liken that to my email list. I mean, imagine if you had MailChimp, it doesn't matter. Imagine you have an email provider And you worked hard. Those are your relationships you've earned. You've got 100 emails on your list. And every time you send Malchimp or whoever it is, is like, we'll send to two people. Do you want to penetrate more? You want to send to those additional 98? You have to pay us more. It's just insane. It makes me so mad because I see so many people make the mistake of like prioritizing their, you know, follow me on Facebook on the website. Mm-hmm. or you see you know cars with their little you know like us on it's like why are you working so hard to get people to subscribe over there when you have no control over that and you can hardly you know you spend all this time creating a post and you can hardly penetrate the audience that you've worked so hard to build yep. so i love what you're doing as far as is mm-hmm. concerned because you're basically you know, the fish are feeding over here. And by running ads, you're saying, Hey, look what I've got over here. You're hooking people away from Mm -hmm. Facebook over to your membership where you can control the content. They'll value the content. So I I love what you're doing. So, um, what are you looking to? What's your budget roughly? I mean, like, are you just kind of, is this a trial run for you? Are you going, no, this is,
1: I'm going all in. I'm going all in. And like I said earlier in our conversation about you need to give Facebook time to figure you out. Because here's the thing. I mean, when you think about it, and this is, this goes for Google AdWords as well, the advertisers want you to be successful because if you're successful, you'll spend more money. And anybody you see who's advertising on any platform, when you see them a lot, it's because they're making a lot of money. So, because you can go broke fast if you're not getting results from your paid advertising, super fast. So to be perfectly transparent, which I have no problem with, I hired a team for four months to start and I'm paying them $3,000 a month Mm. to manage my whole account. I'm still creating all the videos. I created the lead magnet. I created the funnel. I'm doing a, a, a revitalized strategy. So I shot all the videos. I mean, everything I built, it's all living on my site but they're taking my content and they're creating the ad campaign and they're doing all of the, um, you know, the audience build and everything because I'm not giving them a list because Happy Club's relatively new. So I don't really have that much of a list for them to start with. So we're sure. actually gonna be building from scratch, um, which is another thing. If you're bringing in a list, uh, you can do retargeting, you can do lookalike audiences, you can help Facebook learn quicker. But at the end of the day, Facebook still needs time to figure all that out. So if we're looking at four months at 3K a month, that's $12,000. In addition to that, I have to pay for Rev.com, which is a very small amount. It's like 0.5% of that because you need captions created for your Facebook videos because most people listen without audio. Um, I'm trying to display all my expenses. And then we're starting at $40 a day, but probably we'll move to $60 a day. So my Facebook ad budget, meaning the money I pay Facebook to do my ads, um, is gonna range between two and $3,000 a month. So we're looking at a 20 to $25,000 investment over four months. So if I, my conversation with my Facebook team is, if I get an ROI, In other words, if I see trends toward growth, I'm not expecting it in the first two months, but if I start to see trends in growth of memberships, growth of adoption, growth of list build, um, there's a bunch of different metrics that I'm using as go buys, I will continue to invest into it. But there'll be a point if I'm not breaking even, like it's six months if I'm not breaking even then I need to revisit the whole strategy and and try a different tact, you know, that whole pinball machine. So that is my, that for the world to know, that's what I'm doing.
0: (laughs) I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, that's awesome. So you are all in, I want to have you back on in four months. Because I want to learn. About yeah, well, all. I
1: hope you have me back on for a lot of different reasons. Because mm-hmm. I'd love to talk about you know any kind of marketing that your audience uh, yeah. has challenges or questions with. I'm happy. You know, I know that this is authorized. It's it's really focused on the the author, the book, the writing. But to me, it's a bigger universe that makes a book successful. Yeah. It's yeah. a bigger I, universe I just, of well, how it, it is for the. I'm really about the, the, the business authors.
0: behind the book. Yeah. The, you know the, Good. Well, the, it perfect. Makes, Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, okay, I I love what you just shared with us. Um, But for those listening or watching too, I want to make sure, like, you don't have to invest twenty five thousand dollars. You don't have to go all in. What I do, like, I just ran a challenge, and what I'll do is I'll do what's called the miser method. So I'll put like I'll I'll maybe set up ten, you know, ad sets, ten different campaigns with individual ad sets strike that one campaign, 10 ad sets, but I'll, I'll spend like $1 to $5 a day mm-hmm. in each ad set. And all you're trying to do is to see where you get traction. And you yeah. might run that for 72 hours. As Terry mentioned, like Facebook, you have to give Facebook some time to learn what different audiences work based on the offer or the ad that you have out there. Yeah. So for you know, $5 a day, for $50 a day, you, know, you can spend... 50 to 150 bucks over 72 hours and just see what works. And it's the same, like, it's the same way you throw up a hundred lines in the water and three, seven of those lines catch fish. You pull the other 93 or 90, you know, seven lines out of the water and you Mm -hmm. focus on those fish that you caught and you then replicate those results. You reverse engineer those and you keep moving. So as she mentioned, she's outsourcing this time because it is very time consuming.
1: Yeah, and to, I want uh, to give it as much of a, a a chance as possible because I know how to do Facebook ads. I've got clients I do for them, and I know what's involved.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's very time consuming, but but yeah. but you don't need twenty five grand to run an experiment. You can run an experiment for a lot less. Terry's mm-hmm. run yeah. ads. She's managing ads for clients. She's you know had her own yeah. trial and error with her own products and programs in the past. So mm-hmm. she's now saying, you know, I'm already doing this for clients doesn't make sense for me to use my time over here and I'm going to outsource this, but you don't right. certainly need 25 grand to, to, uh, run a Facebook ad. So, what do you
1: think? Are, are you worried about scaring people? No, <laughs> no it's not, true. Not can, I think it's, yeah, awesome. you can even just bo- boost posts and it's very, very, uh, small amounts of money. Yeah. But I, my recommendation to my clients who want to get into Facebook ads is like, it's like getting married. You need to make a commitment to Facebook not just from the standpoint of investing dollars in advertising, but investing time and creating content that the audience that you're generating and attracting, like honey, right? uh, That they have something that they can get a value from you. Otherwise they'll unfollow, they'll disconnect and you'll think you still have people that are seeing your stuff and they're not. So, you know, just go at it from a a very kind of open eyed perspective. There's a lot of different ways. It's not all about the dollar. Um, it's really about the intention you have and the, the commitment that you're, you're putting forth in your business and what you're really trying to do for your audience.
0: Yeah. And, and I always stress the importance of having a well thought out offer on the other end of that click. So for example, because when I published my book back in late July, this was crazy, Terry, but Amazon, you know, we we can't, we can do pre-orders with Kindle, but we can't do pre-orders with paperback. But for whatever reason, the day my book published, the paperback was set to pre-order. It, may, it made no sense. And they had a glitch and it took them three weeks. So for the first three days, my book or three weeks, my book was launching. You couldn't order the paperback on Kindle. It was pre-order only. So hmm, Interesting. Yeah, I hear these people can drone packages to your door in 45 minutes, but they couldn't <laughs> figure out my little book. And then also <laughs> my other print on demand company that I use for the hardcover and also paperback everywhere else outside of Amazon, they were backed up due to COVID reasons. Like 60, mm, interesting. Days. you could buy my hardcover wow. on Amazon the week it launched, but it was like 60 days out, it would ship. So I'm like, I have to figure this out. I have to take control of this. So I actually built a book funnel and I, I'm, I'm still running it and it's very, it does does really well. But the point I'm trying to make is if you do run ads and you are, you know, that's gambling. So you want to stack the deck in your favor. So what I have is a free book, pay shipping and handling. I actually do a signed copy currently. I can't scale that. So eventually I'll get a fulfillment company in. But free book, sign, uh, pay shipping and handling. Then I have an order bump. You can get the audiobook and the Kindle version for half off. And then I have an upsell to a $47 training. That's worth a heck of a lot more. So, what mm-hmm. is all of my ad costs in Facebook are liquidated. I actually am profitable at times, depending mm-hmm. on the ad set, depending on the time. I can actually make a little bit of money, but then I have more things to offer. Yeah. It's the same thing served up with different, different modalities. I have a challenge, yeah. I have an acceleration program, I have my online course. So you need them. And, to that, and sure that's
1: that. a that's a great strategy, Sean. In fact, you should like teach that strategy right there <laughs> and, and offer that. that to people because that's that's a great little strategy that you can come it up with.
0: Great, because I'm generating, so you sell a book on Amazon, like I've sold a little over 3,000 copies. I have 600 names and emails from people who read the book, wanted to download the resources and opted in, which I'm happy about, but I'm also short, you know, 24 25 2600 names and emails so when you do when you sell the book on your own when you fulfill it on your own or hires a company to fulfill it for you now you have names and emails and you can control the customer experience mm-hmm. so like everybody who buys a book on my website they get an email with the tracking number and it's me sitting there with a mask on outside the post office like hey <laughs> you know, I, I took the picture once and everyone gets it right So you can personalize the customer experience and build rapport through those opportunities. And before I know it, people are taking me up on the invitation to join me in my next challenge. So Mm -hmm. I love having control over the customer experience. Otherwise that customer belongs to Amazon. Yeah. I've been talking a lot about the challenge and my results after last week. And a lot of the authorized community here is like, you should teach that, you know, that's so neat because I think webinars were great for 10 years, but they kind of, stalled out in the last year or two. And I think a lot of us are getting sick of staring at.
1: That's because people are using the the same formula. Yeah. And people are tired of the formula. They're not tired of the webinar. That's really important to, to notate.
0: Well, I think we want more connection now more than ever. We want to see people. We want to be connected. We want faces, expressions, emotions. And when you're sitting there for 90 minutes, hearing some narrative, some voice with a slide deck and no personality, it's getting a little dry, you know? That's why these challenges are so interactive. There's assignments, there's community, people are going live, they're taking action, they're going way out of their comfort zone. There's just a much higher level of engagement and also implementation during these challenges, whereas a webinar, people could be, you know, thumbing through their phones, you know, no one would ever know the wiser, right? Mm
1: -hmm. That's why the formula doesn't work anymore, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I just want people to know if you're going to run Facebook ads, just make sure you have your ducks in a row on the back end because your job is to eventually spend a dollar and get two back or better. That's the whole, you know, ROAS, right? Return on ad spend. That's the name of the game. That's what we're all after. That's the holy grail. So you want to make sure that you've got some support back there so that you can at the very minimum, like Terry just said, break even. If I don't break even in six months, I'm going to rethink the strategy, right? That's big. And Terry knows that if she could just break even long-term with subscriptions based on average customer lifetime value, I will assume you'll eventually be profitable. Is that accurate?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, cool. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks, Terry. We're on the hour here. This is a lot of fun. And you shared a-
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Insights with us. So I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, I appreciate you. And uh, hopefully we can hang out together again and share all of our wisdom, because I think we offer a lot of complimentary uh, ideas for for folks who listen and watch our content.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for taking the time. And I do want to have you back on in a few months to hear how all of that Facebook strategy is going.
1: Yeah, let's do it. Let's kick off the new year and and see where I'm at, maybe in February, Ah. because that'll be about the time where I'm making the big decision whether or not this is something that's going to work or not. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I'm feeling good about it. I'm feeling good. Well, best of luck with happy club, all the scale. You. you know, the, the, the distance that you've traveled is amazing. So thank you for being here.
1: Uh, I appreciate that very much. Sean. Thank you. You're more than welcome. Anytime.
0: All right. Sean here again. Wasn't that an awesome conversation? Just want to say thanks again for joining us this week. And if you like what you heard, Be sure to subscribe to my podcast so you can catch
1: all future episodes. Take care and remember to make it a great day.